Bullshit is everywhere. Bullshit. Bullshit is rampant. Total fucking bullshit. Bullshit. This makes no fucking sense. It's just bullshit. Fuck. Bullshit. Is bullshit. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell. Welcome back to Bullshit Filter the News, episode five, recorded yeah. uh, Monday the 7th of May 2018. My name is Cameron Riley. I'm Ray Harris. <laughs> I never know what you're going to do with that. This is my mate, Ray, or, or this is my love interest, or whatever. Are you going to leave it up to me? You leave me hanging in the air. You can you can feel the sexual tension. <laughs> Well, Ray, uh, we got some really uplifting uh, stories to cover today. Um, I know that um, one we didn't get to last week that you wanted to talk about this week is uh, a, a little bit of a, 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 an article about Maya Hillman. Um, do you want to do you want to lead off with that? I'll start off with this just by saying that my new hero. The French president said, instead of saying there's no plan B, there's no planet B. We got to get this stuff. We got to start working on uh, climate change and its effects. But as Mr. Hillman said, um, no one's taking this or not not the right people are taking this seriously. It's up to, to government officials to to take the uh, global warming head on, try to change policies and things like that. But it's not in the best interest of those who are in power to do so. Hence, it is not, nothing, nothing significantly is happening, and so we're just going right down this path that the the I mean it just it's going to end the path at some point where this this planet's not going to be livable, or it's only going to be livable for a couple of people. What are the rest of us supposed to do? Th- this is serious, but not enough people are taking it seriously. All right, do you want to go back a step and tell people who Meyer Hillman is and exactly what he said oh, and all that kind of guy. stuff? No, no. Just... So Meyer Hillman is a British architect and town planner and senior fellow emeritus since 1992 at the Policy Studies Institute, University of Westminster. And he's been talking about climate change and its effects for years. And I think he's just getting to the point where he's so frustrated. He's like, I'm not going to do it anymore because nobody's listening. <laughs> Yeah, so there was an, there was an article um, in the Guardian uh, about him or an interview with him uh, a week or so ago. Um, we didn't get to it uh, in our thing last week, but um, yeah, he's he's been a big proponent for a long time uh, f- uh, for personal carbon trading, um, as it's known. Now, this is kind of a new concept to me. I, I was aware of carbon trading. Uh, but I, I'd never really heard about it in terms of personal carbon trading before. Um, so what this is, is, I mean, very similar to carbon trading at a, at a business level, but it's at a personal level. So the idea is that every individual living in a country would be given some sort of allocation per year mm-hmm. on how much carbon uh, emissions you could uh, participate in. So every time you, you get a number of credits at the beginning of the year or maybe on a monthly basis, who knows? I think it's a yearly basis, so let's say. Probably be easier to manage. Uh, might be a digital thing. Maybe it'd be an app. You know, mm-hmm. you'd, you'd have your, your, your current carbon emission quota on an app. 
And every time you want to do something that's going to create carbon emissions, put petrol in your car, gas, sorry for American listeners, put gas in your car, um, jump on a plane, uh, use electric, you know, pay your electricity bill, uh, eat meat. Uh, that's methane, really. No, is it methane form of carbon? I don't know. Um, anytime you, anytime you want to do any of these things that cause, you, you have to, you have to give up some of your carbon emission credits, mm-hmm. um, and and you're limited uh, to the number of that that you can spend in a year. Now, if you if you run out of yours, you can your your carbon emission credits. You can buy more. But you that you have to buy them on the market. They can be expensive, um, and people that don't use all of their carbon credits can sell theirs. Ooh. So you have a financial incentive to reduce your carbon emissions, your personal carbon emissions, and it gets monitored and measured and that kind of stuff. Um, now, Maya Hillman's a, a, a good example of this. He has been riding a bike for. He, by the way, he's like fucking old. He's eighty-seven. Yeah. This dude, wow. he's been riding a bike for for decades everywhere, and um, he hasn't flown in an aeroplane for twenty years as part of his personal commitment to reducing his own carbon emissions. Mm-hmm. So this is his background. He he wrote a book in two thousand and seven, or co-wrote a book in two thousand and seven, the suicidal planet. How to Prevent Global Climate Catastrophe. 2004, he wrote a, co-wrote a book, How We Can Save the Planet. Um, so he's been talking about this for at least that long, probably more. But um, now, as you indicated in his uh, interview in The Guardian, he says, fuck it, it's too late now. We're, we're doomed, is his words. The outcome is death, and it's the end of most life on the planet because we're so dependent on the burning of fossil fuels. There are no means of reversing the process, which is melting the polar ice caps, and very few appear to be prepared to say so. Wow. Um, He says, I'm not going to write any more about all this because there's nothing more that can be said. Um, So, you know, basically uh, uh, he's saying we're screwed, it's all Mm. over. And I tend to agree. I mean, this isn't the first time I've heard this. I've been listening to climate scientists say this for 10 years at least 15 years listen you know we've got to we've got to stop it here no we've got to stop it there no we've got to stop it now and no one gives a fuck our 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 leaders our political leaders have uh just let us down abdicated their uh response abdicated abnegated Abdicated. What's the word I'm looking for? It's It's Monday morning. Fuck you for judging me, anyone who's listening to this. Monday morning, my coffee hasn't kicked in. um, They've let us down. And, you know, I've got a a good mate in Melbourne, um, Dr. Peter Elliard. He's a futurist, and I think he was a geologist by training. He's in his 80s, probably the same age, actually, as... uh, Oh, no, he just turned 80, actually, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, Rang him for his birthday a week ago. I published... Uh, one of Peter's books, um, uh, I don't know, probably 10, 11 years ago, uh, Designing 2050, it was called. It's about how do we build the earth that we want by 2050. His premise was good. It was like, okay, well, you, you, we, we need to be proactive in thinking about what we want the world to look like in 2050 and start designing it to spec, right? And he, he's all about living not just um, 
sustainably, but but profitably, but by doing the right things. And uh, <clears throat> you know, he's been telling me for years that uh, oh, look, the politicians are going to start taking this seriously any day now because. It's personal for them. They're waking up to the fact that it's personal. This is about the world they're leaving their kids and their grandkids and their great-grandkids. And none of them want their great-grandkids to be going, you know, my great-grandfather, great-grandmother was a cunt because right. they didn't. They, they were a political leader and they didn't do what they needed to do. Now, my, you know, now I'm, you know, up to my neck in water uh, and the world's fucked because my great-grandfather, grandmother didn't do what they were supposed to do. He's been telling me this for 15 years, and uh, yet every year goes by, and instead of it getting better, it just seems to be getting worse. Yeah. Like, Obama didn't do much, but at least he seemed to take it seriously. He talked about uh, it a bit, yeah. Trump just says it's a hoax. Um, yeah, in Australia, we had uh, Kevin Rudd, who took it seriously 10 years ago. Our current Prime Minister, Malcolm Turnbull, I think he does think it seriously, but he's politically so... Um, uh, 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 what's the word? <laughs> yes. Compromise? Uh, I saw an article the other day that his spine transplant operation uh, didn't take. His body rejected <laughs> it. it. Um, politically, he's just politically weak. Uh, right. he, 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 you know, he's barely holding on to the leadership of the liberal national coalition in this country as it is. So, um, you know, he, he, can't afford to do the things that he really he can't 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 afford to follow his conscience. That's what Kevin Rudd, who was our Labor Prime Minister ten years ago, did try and do. He got elected saying he was going to implement a series of uh, a system of carbon trading in this country, mm-hmm. and um, pushed ahead with that when he got elected. And uh, his political opposition and the Mur- with the with the assistance of the Murdoch press and the fossil fuel industries in this country, which is huge. Like something like ten uh, percent of our economy is about coal mining. Wow. Um, they just they just ganged up on him and uh, got him kicked out of his own party after, well, kicked out of the the leadership of his own party within three years. Um, and he was also a psychopath douchebag, but you know he at least he he was yeah, trying to point. do something. He was trying to do something about climate change. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we seem to be getting worse. Um, I mean, okay, maybe Macron takes it seriously. Maybe um, uh, supermodel Prime Minister Julian, uh, what's he's in Canada? Julian Timberlake? Um, no, Justin Justin <laughs> Thoreau. Right. I got there eventually. Fuck you for judging me. <laughs> it's Monday morning. I got there eventually. Uh, they, you know, they seem to take it seriously, but no one, no one gives a shit what the prime minister or president of france or canada thinks yeah you know it's really the united states now china seems to be taking it seriously india seems to be taking it seriously. they're coming from a long way behind because they're late to the game obviously in terms of advanced capitalism but um mm-hmm. they seem to be taking it seriously but uh you know the united states obviously doesn't um the uk under theresa may doesn't australia under turnbull doesn't um not that anyone gives a shit what australia thinks anyway but you know we are for a tiny country, in terms of our, our population, uh, I think in terms of carbon emissions per capita, we're number one or number two. I think it flips back between us and, and you guys, mm-hmm. um, depending on the year and the stats and whatever. But so we're, we're, me- we're mega emitters. And then, of course, we dig all this coal out the ground and ship it all around the world, which, which you know, doesn't help. Right. So, anywho, so, like... 
we're fucked, Ray. And and yeah. I talk to I talk to my. Do you talk? I don't know. Do you talk to your kids about this? I talk to my teenage boys about it on a regular basis. Um, they they get a smattering of it uh, after I listen to the news and I get all worked up. They 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 hear about climate issues, but it's probably not as organized as yours is to your children. Well, I'm not saying mine is organized, but my my boys sort of they're in their first year of university, and 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 I think in year eleven, year twelve at high school, and now university, they they occasionally have uh, assignments on climate change. I think Taylor just handed one in for economics. He had to do something about the economics of climate change. He was telling me mm-hmm. um, why you know why is it important for economics? And I was saying, well, you know, well, yeah, it's got a lot to do with economics, and if governments are ever going to take it seriously that's going to be driven probably by big businesses and insurance companies because they're realizing shit this is costing us money today not right. 10 20 30 years from now this is costing us money today because it's ruining crops it's 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 ruining our ability to run our businesses with any level of predictability because winter's lasting longer than it used to in north america or summer's lasting longer than it used to in australia uh, temperatures are rising um, or or staying low longer than they should, it's it's fucking up our ability to get shit done. Insurance premiums are going up, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So, um, but uh, I, I say to them, look, I'm sorry, but like based on the climate scientists' uh, uh, opinions on this, the world that we're handing over to you is going to be fucked next 20, 30 years. You're going to see sea levels increase, temperatures increase, massive migrations. Like in this country, we've got the uh, in- Indonesia just above us, the archipelago that's known as Indonesia. Something like 200 million people live in Indonesia. I was doing this podcast the other day. Um, uh, I was a guest. I, I mentioned to you on this Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove, which coincidentally is is you know what we call each other when we're in Vegas. But the uh, you know, we were talking about immigration. These guys brought it up. And, and, you know, the position I was trying to push on this thing was, listen, we're, you know, in this country, we're still quibbling over whether, you know, whether or not we should increase our immigration. I think it's like 20, 30,000 people a year as our official numbers were allowing to come in. Mm-hmm. Um, refugees, you know. I'm like, listen, within 10 or 20 years... We're going to have probably half of the people of that 200 million people that live in Indonesia trying to get into this country because yeah. their entire archipelago is going to be underwater. Yeah. Now the, the 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 issue isn't you know should we be thinking about increasing our immigration or how do we handle more immigrants? The the, the issue should be what the fuck are we going to do when? 100 million people are trying to get here for safety in 10 or 20 years. We we need to be doing massive... Look, I, I think we should take them because we've got a big country and we do nothing with most of it. People go, oh, well, it's a desert. So fucking what? A lot of people live in the desert. Go go mm-hmm. to Africa. Go go to, go to Qatar. Go to Saudi Arabia. Big deserts. Go to Iraq. Go to Iran. Big deserts. People, people, people live in the desert. You can live in the desert. It's Let's 2018. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and it's 2018. Like, it's this isn't... An intractable issue is it? Is it? Is it? Is it tricky? Sure. Are we going to need to invest a lot in infrastructure to make it happen? Sure. Um, but it's going to happen, and we can we can we can make it work. But we need it's going to take at least ten years, maybe twenty years of visionary leadership on behalf of our politicians and our corporate leaders to go. Okay, well, let's look at this as an opportunity, not a threat. Let's um, figure out how do we take in. 
10 million people, 20 million, 50 million, 100 million. Because um, it's going to happen whether we want it to or not. Unless, what I said I said on the show, what, are we going to build a big fucking wall around the country? How are you going right. to keep them out? We go, oh, well, we have border patrol, which is a euphemism for, you know, we put our army on the border and or the Navy, and we say, don't come in. What are we going to do? Like, put 100 million fucking soldiers around the country to stop 100 million people coming in? We're just going to start killing the 100 million people as they try and get into the country? It's, it's So I say to my kids, I'm sorry. Like, this is the world that you're living in. That, robots, nanotech, AI, run amok. Uh, sorry, sucks yeah. to... But, but, you know, flip side, you know... You have an iPad, so you know there's this that's the trade off. Trade off, as as everybody knows, the uh, the expression: the longer you wait to cure a problem, the more radical your solution is going to have to be. I can only imagine when the next generation or the generation after that takes over, and they're like, "Okay, fuck it, we've got to do something," because we are we currently aren't doing anything. I can only imagine what kind of solutions they're going to... And it's going to be like all those bad uh, movies you see where the world has ended and every, it's, you know, the Wild West all over again. I can I can only imagine what it's going to be like 50 years from now. Just watch Not Mad me. Max 1 and 2, my friend. <laughs> it's all, and that will That's be your fun. training film to get ready for the future. Oh, it's been my training film for the last 30 <laughs> years, man. That's why I watch both of those movies every year. It's training. A couple cans of beans. Mm. Uh-huh. You want, you want to get out of here? <laughs> You talk to me. Um, yeah, look, I mean, my, I've thought for decades, our only hope is um, Obi-Wan Kenobi. And secondly, uh, is 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 uh, AI. Mm-hmm. Our only hope is to bring about some sort of machine-based superior super intelligence um, and hope that it... it, it is benign and doesn't just kill us all. Doesn't doesn't wake up, look around, and go, "Oh, what the fuck have you done?" Like like when I get up in the morning and I come downstairs, uh, and Fox has got uh, like he's drinking a cup of uh, a straight cordial, and it's and it's like uh, super strength cordial, uh, and and there's uh, frozen fruit all over the kitchen floor, um, plaster of Paris powder all over the carpet in the living room as he did this morning. You know, can't you walk up? You get up in the morning at six o'clock, and you walk downstairs, and you're like, "What the fuck have you done?" Now, I think that's what the AI is going to do when it wakes up. Right. Unlike me, it's probably just going to kill us all uh, because it doesn't have like sentiment like I have. Right. I'm like, look, look, technically, logically, in a, in a Spockian fashion, yeah. the you know the 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 good of the many outweighs the the good of the few, the need of the few. I should just kill you right now. <laughs> Um, but society says I can't and, you know, so, all right. Uh, the AI won't, won't have any such clubs. Maybe, maybe it will. Maybe it'll go listen. Um, I don't know. That's the big issue, right? What's the AI? But we, but it's the only thing it's going to say because we can't save ourselves because of capitalism, which leads us to our next story. Yeah. So, um, uh, fast company. Last week, no November, no. Well, I don't know. Is this it's American? So it's probably July last year. Hard to fucking tell dates, man. Why can't we all just agree? No, it's no way we're going to fix climate change if we can't just agree on how to write our dates. Uh, is it month, day, year, or day, month, year? I mean, why? Like day, month, year. That's progression. That's the 
logical way to do it. Why the fuck does America have to go backwards? Month, then day, then year. You don't even do year, month, day. Like, what is up with the month, day, year bullshit? Uh, well, that's a great thing about being the only superpower for so many years after the uh, World War II. We don't have to explain ourselves. Don't ask. Everybody was supposed to copy us, drive on the right side of the road. Come on, get it right. I think Americans just want, we just want to be different. And uh, just did it to be different, just to fucking be different and difficult. Yeah. 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 Um, So, anywho, I I will look that up at some point and... um, Yeah. People don't know. Okay, I'm looking at an article in The Guardian. People, People don't know. Fucking hell. Anyway, so uh, this Guardian article. Are you ready to consider that capitalism is the real problem? I'm pulling this out now because it, it, I know it was, it was getting. I was I saw it pop up on Facebook. I think I might have read it at the time, but uh, you know, talking about climate change, um, it goes hand in hand with capitalism. Absolutely, uh, and particularly the fact that we haven't done anything about it. So obviously. If you believe the climate scientists, and I know some people still don't because they just, I don't know. I don't know. Fuck. They just. Can I, I just want to interject real quick. Do you remember when oh. we were doing the bullshit filter show when um, uh, Anslinger got in touch with like, I don't know, I can't remember, something like 20, 20 uh, professionals, 20 doctors, and, and they were all saying that, and excuse me, all of them but one said marijuana wasn't bad for you. One said it was, and he went with that. That's kind of like with the uh, the the scientists about global warming. There are some people who are hanging on to the very few scientists left that are saying we are not the cause of global warming. This is a natural fun- phenomenon, and we couldn't do anything about it, even if we wanted to. The fact that they're still holding on to that one out of thousand doctors or, or whatever just boggles the mind. Yeah, it's a weird thing. I mean, people who just uh, dig their heels in with shit like this, I don't really understand the psychology behind it. Um, But anywho, obviously, coming out of the Industrial Revolution, um, the the drive to produce more and more stuff uh, Mm -hmm. using machinery and, and, and... needing land and chopping down chopping down trees uh the growing population that that capitalism was able to enable support was able to feed and clothe um has done a lot in the last 200 years to bring us to where we are but even more than that once we've known like okay you can say well maybe we didn't know it was a problem for a long time and that's true we have known it was going to be a problem for the last 30 40 50 years um, but we continue to do next to nothing about it. And, I mean, I, I think it's pretty obvious that the reason is is because of capitalism. Because the, the individuals with the insane amounts of wealth that are tied to fossil fuel industry and also tied to... Things as they are right now. I, I don't know. Did I talk about this in a show before? The whole idea that when you when you hit your cart, when you're successful in the current paradigm, you don't want to you don't want to see the paradigm change dramatically. I think we talked right. about this recently somewhere, right? We, we've touched on it. Yeah, the general theme. Right. 
Um, and so the, the people with the wealth and the influence, the political influence, direct or indirect, have been doing everything that they can, some of them, enough of them, doing everything they can to stop uh, their politicians from enacting laws that would take the sufficiently dramatic steps that we need to take in order to arrest climate change over the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, combination of probably direct threats to politicians in terms of if you, if you pursue a path of trying to do something about climate change, we're going to stop funding you or we're going to fund your competition or we're going to fund campaigns against you. And um, unfortunately, the politicians have so little integrity that they would, a lot of them will, will bow down to that in order to keep their job and their cushy prospects rather than stick to their integrity and say, no, fuck you, I'm going to do what's right. Um, and then the, the wealthy use their, their influence with the media to try and uh, obfuscate the, the position that the climate scientists have taken. They'll find fringe uh, scientists, whether they're climate scientists or not, get them to, you know, there's been plenty of studies on this, get them to write anti-stories, use their influence with the large media companies, and their influence is usually, um, the mechanism behind their influence is quite often their advertising spend if not mm -hmm. direct investments, if not just conjoined interests between Corporation A and Corporation B that happens to own media outlets and quite often owns other businesses as well, like, is it GE that owns NBC and MSNBC and then they also own businesses that, you know, uh, pollute? They, they, what does GE own? Fuck, like, everything from... <laughs> Right. Weapons manufacturers to all sorts of shit, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, <laughs> you know, people say, oh, MSNBC is the left, the leftist media. Fuck off. It's owned by one of the biggest corporations in the world. You can't have leftist and big corporation in the same fucking sentence. Right. Anyway. Um, anyway. Can I ask? Sorry, you want to? Can, I, I, just a just a general question because I was going through that article, and and again just a general thought: Are we assuming that the younger generation, the the ones that are going to be taking the reins of power in a couple of years, are we assuming that they're going to be better than we are, smarter than we are, make better decisions, have better priorities than we are? I mean, what what where's the proof? And I'm not saying there isn't, but I'm just saying, where's the proof when when we say that young people are concerned about things, things that we're not doing anything about? I mean, is, is there proof that the people coming up after us are actually going to try to tackle some of these issues like capitalism and global warming? Yeah, I, I think it's um, I think it's a fantasy that they're going to do that. Um, yeah, you raise referring to this article in Fast Company that says, uh, in February, college sophomore Trevor Hill stood up during a televised town hall meeting in New York and posed a simple question to Nancy Pelosi, the leader of the Democrats in the House of Representatives. He cited a study by Harvard University showing that 51% of Americans aged between 18 and 29 no longer support the system of capitalism and asked whether the Democrats could embrace 
this fast-changing reality and stake out a clearer contrast to right-wing economics. Pelosi was visibly taken aback. I thank you for your question, she said, but I'm sorry to say we're capitalists and that's just the way it is. Um, and so the suggestion here is that uh, around the world, young people uh, and people in general uh, think that capitalism is on the nose. Goes on to say, uh, YouGov poll in 2015 found that 64% of Britons believe that capitalism is unfair, that it makes inequality worse. Uh, in the US, it's as high as 55%. In Germany, 77% of people are skeptical of capitalism. Uh, meanwhile, a full three quarters of people in major capitalist economy, economies believe that big businesses are basically corrupt. Now, uh, the question that you're asking is that are young people going to rise up and do something about this? Now, the reason I'm skeptical about that is we've we you know we saw what happened in the '60s. We've mm -hmm. been through this before. In the '60s, obviously, we had. The hippie movement, we had a lot of social activism uh, around the world, but I'm particularly thinking of the United States. Um, people, uh, you know, young, young people, teenagers and people in their early 20s, you know, they're about peace and love and, and uh, uh, better economic conditions for everyone and fairness and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, what happened to all those people? Well, they kind of got destroyed by the system, I think. Indoctrinated, um, yeah. Yeah, you get indoctrinated at some point. You, you, you've been told your whole life that you need to go out and get a job. So you can have a nice house and buy a car and go on holidays and have some nice shit and all that kind of stuff. Save for your retirement, etc., etc. So eventually these young people buy into that. Um, and then what happens? Well, as soon as you have a job, you start making money. You get money, you start spending that money because you want to have shit. You want a place of your own. You want to move out from home. So you, you, you go out, you get a place of your own. Then all of a sudden, you've got to pay rent and, and you've got electricity bills and gas bills and food bills and all this kind of stuff. And you, mm -hmm. you, have a, you, you develop a, a comfort level that you don't want to give up. So you, 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 you it's like uh, that old canard about how do you boil a frog right i know we've talked about this on the show before somewhere that the, you know, the old thing is if you throw a, if you throw a frog into a pot of boiling hot water it'll jump straight back out so you put it in a pot of cold water and mm -hmm. you very slowly increase the heat by increments ah, right and it will adjust its body temperature to 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 cope until it all of a sudden it cooks and it, it doesn't know and um, a, I'm always like, well, why the fuck do you want to cook a frog in the first place? What is wrong with you, you psychopath? B, uh, apparently that's bullshit. Biologists say the frog's going to jump out as soon as it gets too warm. Yeah. So the whole story's fucked. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, yeah. Um, the, 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 the point it's trying to make is you take away people's freedoms or you break them emotionally or psychologically incrementally a little bit at a time and and capitalism is very well structured to do that 
It's interesting that you bring up the hippies because I don't think I've ever mentioned this, but my girls go to a private school. It's run by hippies. And the hippies, they have their tie-dye shirts and most of the men have ponytails and they're wearing sandals and stuff like that. But they're driving BMWs and they're driving Mercedes and they're driving Range Rovers. So um, they might have held on to the, I don't know, to the outer limits of being rebellious and being hippies, but obviously somewhere along the way they made some serious piles of cash and now they're driving their grandkids to school in very nice cars. So um, again, since they did, they couldn't stick, stick with it in the sixties. Why are the kids going to be able to stick with it today? The only answer I could possibly come up with is that the ability to communicate and organize is so much better today than it was in the sixties because of, uh, of all the technology. That would be the only major advantage I would give them that they can instantaneously reach out to hundreds of thousands of people like themselves. Yeah, but it goes both ways. I mean, yes, we can do that. But in a capitalist economy, the vast majority of the media and the education uh, that you're a recipient of that is blasted out to you 24-7 is controlled by individuals and corporations that have deep, deep vested interest in maintaining the status quo. So they are going to do everything in their power to break down your resistance to the status quo. Um, and there are a lot of different mechanisms by which they can do that. You know, one of the, one of the great disappointments to me in the last 20 years is, is been to watch the best minds of my generation who had their hands on the internet and the, and the technology industry and mm-hmm. could have used it for all sorts of positive change. Instead, use it to uh, make themselves rich by doing stuff that's mostly meaningless. Right. Um, you know, you get young entrepreneurs um, who could have used the internet to revolutionise politics or socioeconomics or... or education whatever and a couple have don't don't get me wrong you know a couple of people have done amazing things but the vast majority um that i've met and that i've watched and read about over the last 20 years really are mostly just interested in becoming billionaires and the people that are the people that are glorified and one of the reasons for is the people that are glorified in the media are those entrepreneurs that have turned their 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 efforts into something that's made them wealthy? So we we glorify the wealthy. The media is constantly glorifying the wealthy. And after you've read enough of that over the years, you start to think, well, that's that's what I that's what I want. That's what I should be doing. Yeah. I want to I want to be rich. I want to be famous. I want to be on the front cover of Wired magazine. I want to be. Uh, um, and 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 this is coming from a guy who was on the front cover of a business net magazine with the headline, who wants to be a billionaire. Uh, I was that guy. I was the poster child for Australian tech entrepreneurship for a brief moment, uh, 10, 12 years ago. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and, and what happened to me at the time, the reason that article came out is I had 
announced I was leaving Australia, I was going to go to Silicon Valley to run the podcast network because there was no opportunity in Australia to really in fund and invest in startups back then, tech startups. Uh, I went to Silicon Valley and I spent a couple of weeks meeting with venture capitalists and all that kind of stuff over there and talking to local entrepreneurs. And it disgusted me because it was all about how are we going to build this thing so we flip it to Google? And I was like, no, no, you don't understand. What I want to do is build a new age media company that's based around uh, uh, real people, non-commercial interests, talking about this, that and the other and, and trying to build a better world using new media. And everyone's like, fuck that shit. Like, let's just talk about how we're going to get rich out of this thing. And after a few weeks in in San Francisco, I was like, this is, uh, A, this is disgusting. And and B, if I stay here, I'm going to end up as one of these people. And that, because I knew I would get sucked into it. I knew if I'd stayed there within a year, I'd be driving a Porsche, doing lines of coke off of hookers' tits. (laughs) Happy. Yes, don't get me wrong. But... But not fulfilled. Not fulfilled. And and I'd probably be, uh, you know, in jail right now for doing yeah. something. Um, yeah. So it, it's a very slippery slope, and, and I've, I've kind of lived it at a, at a low level. And I see it all the time now with friends that are tech entrepreneurs, very, very bright young people that are just, uh, you know, Facebooking drone shots of them in their new Porsche and, <laughs> you know... It's all about making money. Here's my yeah. penthouse apartment and all my slick shit and 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 my Porsche and my th- and I'm like, wow, like uh, I liked you better ten years ago when you were you know broke and smart and political, and I had such big hopes for you, but now it looks like I mean maybe you'll turn it around, but maybe like me you will go through that period, you know, in my twenties. In early 30s, I was uh, a proto cap. I was a uber capitalist man. I was all about making money, mm-hmm. and then I did that for a while and went, "This is bullshit. I don't. I don't want to be this person anymore. I want to. I want to go back to being uh, interested in how to make the world a better place. Um, so maybe, maybe they'll go through it. You can look at Bill Gates. Everyone always points to Bill Gates. Well, you know, he made a ton of money and he got super rich, and then he went down and did good things. Like, yeah, he did, but I can point to 999 other examples of rich guys who didn't do that. So what oh. makes you think you're going to be the 0.0001% that uh, actually goes out and does good things? Anywho, how do I get onto that? Capitalism, young people. Yeah, the, the, it's a slippery slope. It's very, there's, a lot, there's a lot of shit out there trying to stop you from changing the status quo because the people that own the status quo have got a huge amount of influence. Yeah. Um, this, this Fast Company article says that global GDP has grown 630% since 1980. Oh. And yet in that same time, by some measures, inequality, poverty and hunger have all risen. Does that mean the um, chasm between the haves and the have-nots has widened and deepened since 1980? I mean, people my age, I know people, when I used to when I used to work at UVA, there were people my age who knew the game was rigged against them, uh, but they're like, you know what, 
they've accepted that. They're like, yeah, life is unfair. This doctor that I'm working for is making three or four hundred thousand dollars. I'm making fifteen dollars an hour or whatever. And that's just the game. And they're just trying to survive at this point. They've already been beat down and they're just trying to survive. So maybe young people can come at it with a fresh perspective because people my age have just sadly, I think to a larger degree, just accepted this is the way it is. Yeah, I think uh, people have. I guess the question is, uh, are young people going to change that? Um, This Fast Company article, again, says the YouGov poll that it mentioned showed that Americans under the age of 30 tend to have a more favorable view of socialism than they do of capitalism, which Mm. is surprising given the sheer scale of the propaganda out there designed to convince (laughs) people that socialism is evil. Now, I think uh, Bernie Sanders has done a lot uh, for... Uh, revitalizing um, socialism mm-hmm. in the United States. Um, but there's a long way to go. We need a lot of education. And I get into debates with people. Surprise, might surprise you, Ray, but I get into debates all the time. <laughs> really? Um, with people on Facebook about uh, socialism and communism and Marxism and all this kind of stuff. Um, and in fact, you and I, uh, this Friday when we record the Cold War show, are going to have uh, a guy on who wants to get into it with us, well, with me particularly. Good. Have you, see, have you seen my email about that? Um, I've, cur- I've looked over, yeah. What's, what's he want to talk about? <laughs> this guy just started listening to our Cold War series, and it got up to episode three where we did a, like a mini biography on Stalin. And Uh-oh. he sent us this furious uh, message, I think it was on Facebook, um, I was very oh, yeah. disappointed, blah, 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 about how we depicted, how we justified Stalin's atrocities. And I, and I just replied back. I said, listen, I think there's a big difference between justifying something and trying to contextualize it. And, you know, I have the basic theory that these people in history are rational actors, most of them. And so I try and understand what were they thinking? What were they trying to do? Why did they do what they did? Um, I don't believe in, you know, you know evil people i believe that people have motivations and and ambitions and try and figure out what those were i think that's a that's a more useful direction Mm -hmm. to go in because you can then learn from that if you just say they're evil then that's that's just you know you don't learn anything from that um and then he, he then he wrote back a couple of other long diatribes which i didn't see because it was friday and we were recording four hours of shows or whatever and then it one of them, he said, um, I have, I, because you haven't replied to any of this, I have written a negative review on iTunes, but I would be willing to uh, take it down or something if uh, you let me come on your show and uh, you justify your... And I was like, dude, you can come on my show anytime. <laughs> and how about, how about this week you can come yeah. on the show and we can get into it? And he's like, okay, I have uh, taken down that iTunes article and I would be looking forward to coming on your show. I'm like, dude, you do not know what you've just done. Um, Anyway. Save the world. Yeah. 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 Come into into the briar trap, Brer Bear. Um, (laughs) Anyway. Look, the, 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 the point I keep making to people, they say, well, look, communism failed and blah, blah, blah. Look at Russia and this and that and the other. Yeah. I have to explain over and over again, and they blame Marx for that. Um, I keep explaining over and over again. Look, Marx didn't. Marx and Engels uh, didn't uh, uh, provide a blueprint 
for the Soviet Union or for China under Mao Zedong or any other country. They didn't ever uh, get to the point of writing a recipe for how to implement mm -hmm. socialism or communism. They, they, they talked uh, mostly very um, analytically about the inherent problems of yeah. capitalism and what they thought a ideal society would look like in terms of how the wealth and the effort would be distributed. And they criticized some uh, earlier uh, uh, proto-socialist movements, utopian socialist movements. But they never said, okay, this is what you have to do. It's not like Lenin uh, and, and Bakunin and, and, and Trotsky and Stalin or Mao Zedong or Fidel Castro or any of these guys picked up Marx and went, oh, okay, here's a step-by-step -step guide for um, how, we, how we implement socialism or communism. Didn't, that's not how it happened. Um, right. Secondly, I always try and point out is that one of the things that Marx and Engels did, what they, one of the things they were very clear about is that communism follows socialism. Socialism follows capitalism. So they, they thought that a society would be ripe for socialism when it had reached a mature stage of capitalism. Mm -hmm. like the United States is today or, or Australia or the UK, whatever. It was only when you had a, a population that had a certain level of material comfort and education that had been provided by capitalism that they would be politically aware enough and, and enabled enough to re-engineer society towards socialism and then socialism is, socialism is only a, a stepping stone there's still a state involved in socialism it's like a transitionary period mm -hmm. to get to communism which is a stateless society um now the soviet union when uh, sorry russia when the russian revolution happened was not an advanced capitalist society if, no. if anything it was backwards They'd just come out of basically indentured slavery in uh, yeah you know generation earlier. Um, uh, the same with China. These were backwards countries that didn't even check the first box in Marx and Engels' <laughs> list of things that you need to implement this. Secondly, they were obviously run by um, okay people we could call uh, oligarchs or we could call them sociopaths or psychopaths or whatever who were prepared to imprison or kill millions of their own people in order to bring about a major and rapid restructure of their economy. And this is part of the issue that this guy is coming on the show as, as I was trying to explain what I think you know, uh, Lenin and Stalin's perspective was in terms of rapid advancement for the Soviet Union because they were staring down the barrel of invasion or starvation or this, that and the other. And... Um, uh, but, you know, that, again, that wasn't... That means Marx and Engels did talk about a dicta dictatorship of the proletariat. Um, but they're not... They didn't stipulate, okay, it's okay to go and kill millions of people in order to achieve that. Um, right. They did... They, they weren't anti-violence, though. They did say that, listen, um, in, order trying to, in order to try and bring this about, the capitalists are going to fight to stop it because they have to. Mm -hmm. And that in order to you know, bring about this, you, you're going to probably have to go to war with the capitalists. They saw that as an inevitability. Uh, 
whether it was to go to war with the capitalists in your own country or international capitalism, which is why the Soviets, you know, were determined, were paranoid that the British and the Americans were going to come after them because they always saw it as a greater struggle between the forces of socialism and the forces of capitalism. So Marx and Engels weren't pacifists either. In fact, they thought it was naive to think that this would happen without some violence, that some violence was going to um, be required. But they, nothing that I've read in them said, you know, you, you'll just go and kill all your own people in order to make this happen. Anywho, my point has always been that uh, the, the 20th century experiments in socialism or communism, well, they called themselves communists, but, you know, if you understand the difference between socialism and communism, they didn't even get close to socialism, let alone communism, um, is, is not the be-all and end-all of, of uh, our socialist experiments. Right. And that the, the theory behind socialism is pertinent and, and the, the, um, the analysis that Marx and Engels did about the flaws of capital, capitalism is spot on. Which brings us to another, another story. So this is, um, came out just on the 30th of April. In the New York Times, of all places, opinion piece by uh, Jason Barker, who's an associate professor of uh, philosophy. Um, and uh, he's talking about Marx. Um, I think it's the 200th birthday of Karl Marx this year. Wow. The, wow. the um, title of his article is, Happy Birthday, Karl Marx. You were right. <laughs> Yeah, and he did get a lot right. I mean, Marx and Engels, like you were saying, I mean, these guys sat down and for years they thought this stuff through and they could see the struggle that was going on. They could see the haves and the have-nots and the dissatisfaction. And he even got, I mean, besides the, the entire process to go from capitalism to communism, uh, excuse me, socialism, communism, that kind of stuff, besides that process, I mean, he got a, little, a lot of little things right. He was saying even during a time of plenty, people will want, people will be suffering, people will be struggling. struggling. And he even he even predicted to a certain degree that the more technology advances, the more people will lose their jobs and, and that will increase the unhappiness, <clears throat> excuse me, throughout a society. So this guy was on spot on on a lot of different things a very long time ago. Yeah. Um, according to Jason Barker, he said in 2002, he attended a conference in London where the French philosopher Alain Badiou spoke and he said that Marx had become the philosopher of the middle class. What did he mean? I believe he meant that educated liberal opinion is today more or less unanimous in its agreement that Marx's basic thesis, that capitalism is driven by a deeply divisive class struggle in which the ruling class minority appropriates the surplus labor of the working class majority as profit, is correct. Even liberal economists such as Nouriel Roubini agree that Marx's conviction that capitalism has an inbuilt tendency to destroy itself remains as prescient as ever. So that's what a lot of people agree on, that Marx was right about that. What they disagree mm -hmm. on is, well, what do we do about that? Now that we know that, after right. 150 years, we agree that Marx was right. Now, now what? What's the next step? Yeah, what's the next? Exactly. We, we don't want to go down the path of Russia 
or, or, or China or even Cuba. That's not what we want to do. That's not what I'm advocating, um, obviously. Right. But what, you know, there's a, it's not a binary scenario. So people seem to think, and this is like, people are so fucking dumb, right? It, it, it disgusts me. Um, like particular, oh, look, if people get into debates with me about this stuff, my, my initial, like, I don't want to sound like an arrogant cunt, but, it, you know, my initial reaction every time is, I want to just say to them, really, do you really think you're ready to get into this conversation with me? But then I'm like, okay, be nice. Be nice, right. be gentle. They don't know any better. They've been educated by the system. Um, but I, I don't want to go, look, have you ever read Marx and Engels? Tell me what you've read. How much have you read? Tell me Tell me how much Marxist theory you've read. Um, none, really. Oh, I'm so surprised. Um, you know, it, it, there, there are really good ideas in Marx's work that we need to understand in order to have an intelligent conversation about the flaws inherent in capitalism and where do we go from here. Now, does that mean that capitalism is entirely bad? No, of course not. There are some wonderful aspects of capitalism and we all we all enjoy the benefits of those if you live in the West and you're white, mm-hmm. particularly if you're a man. Um, yay for white men. Oh, we're so oppressed. Sorry, I forgot the uh, the Jordan Peterson narrative. Oh, I feel so right. oppressed as a white man. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of good things about capitalism. There's also a lot of bad things about capitalism. Like if you, we look at the climate change stuff I said earlier uh, and the, our inability as societies to tackle that, you can you can point a finger to capitalism. There's There's... Uh, yes, uh, a, a, a lot of people have been pulled out of poverty as a result of capitalism. The, the, the lifestyle that I have is infinitely superior to the lifestyle that my ancestors had, even in this country, even a century ago when they first got here from England and Poland. Um, mm-hmm. my, my standard of living is far higher, and a lot of that is because of capitalism. Um, but it, it has massive flaws. You know, Oxfam in 2017 said that 82% of the global wealth generated in that year went to the world's richest 1%. So that's 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 a, that's broken. That's a broken right. socioeconomic system. That should be a system. crime. That should be a crime. And I just want to throw in real quick that Nancy Pelosi, um, during that interview, she says, you know, we're capitalists. Get used to it. I mean, basically she's saying don't even try to think of anything different because that's who we are. Margaret Thatcher said there was no other alternative. So again, you've got these very powerful leaders who are like, no, this is it. Don't even think outside the box. Don't even pretend there's an outside the box. Just keep it going. Because like you said, they want the status quo the same. And for someone like Nancy Pelosi to even with all due respect, uh, at her age, to just keep pushing the same agenda to keep her power, to keep her power paced, base to keep her influence i mean at what point do you do you go do you have the intelligence and the humility to step go you know maybe someone else should take over but these people will like you said want to stay in power until the moment they die and when you when you're fighting something like that it just makes any kind of change or improvement that much harder yeah and and that's you know she's the the leader in the house anyway of your so-called left the minority, party. right. And your left leader. party. Like, she's supposed yeah. to be the political... 
they're supposed to be the political left in the United States, which is why yeah. I always laugh at, at guys like David Markham when he goes, well, I'm a, you know, I'm a progressive Democrat. And I'm like, dude, the Democrats aren't left. Like, fucking give it up. Like, seriously, they're a, they're a center-right party. They haven't been a left-leaning party since fucking God knows when, since FDR, man. Uh, yeah. and, 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 then, and then even then they were run by a millionaire aristocrat. Uh, they were further <laughs> did, to the left but, when they were run by a millionaire aristocrat. But I, I'm glad you brought that up. I, want, I, would do, I don't want to sidetrack too much, but I do want to bring that up. I mean, you're absolutely right. Here was a guy who was born with silver, gold spoon, whatever in his mouth. He's the one who ends up making all these changes, not only to save the country, but to help the common man. You've got, um, and I'm drawing his blank right now, JFK is the guy who took over for JFK once he was assassinated, who helped with the civil rights, mostly LBJ. because he had the... LBJ, because he had the political power to do so. And, and, and But you've got... And, and how many times have we said on Augustus, here's a guy who's got more money than God, who even at the advanced age of 70 is still tweaking the system to make sure that things run smoothly, that corruption does not, does, does not take over. So capitalism in general is a good solid thing because it, it drives uh, people, uh, it gives people the ability to pursue their talents and make money or whatever. But yeah, capitalism unchecked can create things like you just said a second ago, 82% of the, the wealth, the, that year's one, that year's wealth goes to 1%. I mean, that is just an out and out crime and a sin, but that's the way it is. If we don't alter things if we don't check capitalism you can't just say it's it's good and pure leave it alone don't touch it and then just let things continue on the way they are well i think it's it's one of the greatest successes of uh american propaganda in the last hundred years is to get people to a point where they see it as a binary situation right there's uh, laissez-faire American-style capitalism, uh, or there's oppressive, uh, 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 you know, Stalin-esque uh, uh, communism, quote unquote, um, right. with millions of people in gulags. They're the, they're the two choices. Pick one. Now right. that's dumb, right? That's really, right. really, really, really dumb. Um, and I've been having this conversation with people for decades. So they'll say, well, you know, I'd rather this than that. I'm going, yeah, okay, but what about the third alternative? The fourth, the or fifth, fourth. the sixth, yeah. the seventh? You know, like in countries like Australia, um, well, I'm, we don't have it perfect by any means. And, you know, I, I, I got into some major uh, criticism of Australian culture on, on this other podcast the other day. But we, in terms of our socioeconomic approach... We have a relatively healthy blend of socialism and capitalism. We have a hybrid system, as do you know some of the um, Scandinavian countries and Iceland and places like that, Canada right. as well. So we 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 have uh, pretty much a no holds barred capitalist system. There are, there's no caps on the amount of wealth that an individual or, or a corporation can create, and I think there should be. Um, I think like we have uh, salary caps in some sporting uh, teams or mm -hmm. sporting uh, 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 um, sports, sporting sports, sporty sports yeah. sports. Works what do you call me. it? Sport, sporting what? Sporting sporty spice. Industry. So <laughs> yeah, I'd like to put a cap <laughs> in a sporty spice. Um, 
20 years ago. Uh, we should have we should have salary caps on everybody. Now, there's only so much money you really need. And I mean, right. if you say, look, I need to earn more than $10 million a year to feel good about myself and to want to get up in the morning and be mad, I'd be like, well, well there's <laughs> something fuck, fucking wrong with you. Go see a psychiatrist, right. you dipshit. Exactly. Um, where was I going with that? Uh, yeah, so, but also, we have a strong social welfare component that mm. we we wouldn't have if it wasn't for the socialist movement in this country in the early to middle part of the 20th century um right. it was it was the socialists and the communists in this country that drove through things like the 40 hour working week and four weeks of annual leave and and um healthcare and, and public education. We had free university education for quite a long time. Um, yeah, it was it, when I when I finished high school, I could have got uh, got pretty much free university. I think there was a very small, like, you know, grand a year or two grand a year or something for a first class university education. It's more mm-hmm. expensive now, but not by much. I think for my boys, it's like uh, five grand a year for their university education. Um, yeah. Um, so, uh, and the government, you know, you, you get sort of government funding for that too. It's not like you don't go and borrow money from a private institution and paying usurious interest rates. Um, or you just pay cash for it if you have the money, but you know, it's, 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 uh, very different. And so we've, we've done it relatively well. Um, but, it's a hybrid, right? Now, right. The, the question is, how can we further change the system to extract the best of both modalities of thinking? How, how do you extract the best out of capitalism yeah. and the best out of socialism? And I'm pretty sure that's what Marx and Engels would have wanted. They wanted to build a better society, a fairer society, a more sustainable society, a more moral an ethical society. Um, And that's the question we should be having, not is it, you know, do we want capitalism or Soviet-style communism? The question is, what would a more ethical, robust, sustainable society look like? And then let's talk about how do we get there from where we are today. Now, where is that conversation happening? Because... I don't see it happening in the news. I don't hear politicians right. talking about it. I hear Bernie Sanders talking about it, but he doesn't live here. Um, but across the board, shouldn't that be one of the most commonly discussed topics in our media and in our government and in our education? Let's envision the world... Gets back to Peter Elliott in his book, Designing 2050. What do we think, what do we want the world to look like or our country to look like? Let's start there. 10 years from now, 20 years from now, what would it, what would be the perfect scenario? What do we need to change to get there? Let's take our brightest and our best and throw them into that fucking problem instead of building a new dating app for the iPhone or or, or fucking (laughs) another version of Uber. Let's throw them at that. (laughs) 
and see where we get. I'm not smart enough. I'm a 47-year-old white guy without a university education. I'm not, I'm not the guy to solve these problems. It's like I was talking to these guys on the, the other podcast and I was talking about, yeah, I reckon we should bring in another 10 million people into this country, immigrants. They go, but how are we going to do that? I said, it's not my fucking job to figure that shit out. I'm a podcaster. I'm not a political scientist. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, there are really, really fucking smart people out there. Let's get them on the job, right? That's that's who should be figuring it out. I'm just here to go. I'm just here to, to rattle the chains and say, you know, why aren't we talking more about this, kids? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a measly podcaster. So, um, so yeah, anyway, listen. And so anyone listening to this, whether you feel you're on the left or the right or in the middle or you don't know, listen. Go, here's some books you need to read. And some of these might surprise you. Read the Communist Manifesto. Just fucking read it. I'm not saying you have to agree with it. Yeah. Just Expose read it. So you it. Read it yeah. so you know what you're talking about. Read Das Kapital. It's hard going. They're both hard going. Don't get me wrong. But if you listen to this show, you, you, you've, you're smart, right? You, you wouldn't be listening to this if you were Good a looking. dumb ass. Huh. Well, no, that's just us. Don't, don't, don't. <laughs> Sorry. Don't project us onto our listeners and that. I've seen, I've met a lot of our listeners. No. Yeah. No. Disappointing. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, it is disappointing. Anyway. <laughs> uh, fucking read them, man. If you've read them before, read them again. Read Dust Capital, read Communist Manifesto, at least those two. Read Manufacturing Consent. Chomsky and Herman, again. And then, this might surprise you, go read Iron Rand. Read The Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged, um, as she's often used as the poster child for extreme capitalism. I don't think she is, but you know, there's some good stuff in her books. Again, you don't have to throw out the baby with the bathwater. There's some good ideas. She's wrong on a lot of stuff, or I disagree with her on a lot of stuff, but go read it. Read this stuff. Read... Adam Smith, The Wealth of Nations, another one that gets quoted a lot. Actually, read what Adam Smith says. Adam mm. Smith was a philosopher, not an economist. He, as much as Marx, pointed out a lot of the flaws in unregulated laissez-faire capitalism um, and said that it was only useful while it was held to a moral standard. Uh, and that left unchecked, it would right. go off the rails and wealth would concentrate right. in the wrong places. So just, just, just go out and read this stuff. Um, at least read those half a dozen books, and and then come back to me, and let's have an intelligent conversation about how do we engineer the world that we want to have, and don't get trapped into these bullshit, fake binary narratives that the capitalist media tries to uh, lay on you because you know they've got a they've got an agenda, kids. Yeah, they, yeah. as Noam Chomsky uh, calls it. He says it's not propaganda in the West; it's prop agenda. Ooh. They they don't tell you what to think. Like you see, classic Cold War era communist propaganda, uh, the posters and that kind of stuff of the books, and they tried to tell people what to think. Here's how you think like a good Soviet citizen or a good Chinese right. citizen or a Cuban citizen. Um, in the West, they're a little bit more clever than that. They don't tell you what to think and they allow a little bit of debate 
but it's within tightly controlled parameters and they set up straw man false dichotomies. <clears throat> well, you have to either go with the American balls to the wall, fucking take no prisoners, uh, winner takes all capitalism, or you've got Soviet-style, Stalin-esque communism. Right. Bullshit is That's not what I say to yeah. that. Yeah. Exactly. Well, one, I'd, I'd like to, to to reply by saying, one, I think we're going to have to cover those books in a separate podcast. I think we have to bring back the idea of the 100 or whatever it was great books and include things like that to have a discussion for the lazy bastards who will not go out there and read them. And that's just the way life is. Uh, two, just real quick, I know we're, I know we're over time, um, but just the death, or this is how I feel about it or how I see it, the death of intellectualism. You know, the 1960s, um, uh, Kennedy, or 1950s, 1960s, Kennedy says we're going to put a man on the moon before the decade is out. We bust our ass with science. Yes, we were using German, uh, we were using German scientists we got from Nazi Germany, but we focused, we harnessed the resources of the state, much like building the atomic bomb, and we kicked ass and we put a man on the moon. And just somewhere between that moment and now, you, you just get the sense that intellectualism or, or brainy chaps just aren't as um, valued as much as they as they once were. You're right. It's the guy who's chasing the all, almighty dollar. It's the 26-year-old kid whose who's startup company just reached a billion dollars, and now he's on the covers of all these magazines. It, it's just really sad that all of this other stuff has been replaced by the pursuit of the one and only thing that really matters, and that's how much money is in your bank account. Intellectualism, good works, charity, all that stuff is just gone by the wayside. Just the death of intellectualism has just saddened, saddened me very much. Did you say brainy chaps? Brainy chaps, yeah. You know, the patches on their sleeves, the pipe, you know, that kind of stuff. Glasses. So no Here. women no women involved there? Just, well, this was... A, just, no, just they're... Men. Okay, you know what? You don't have to do that. Okay, and the chicks, the brainy chicks. Uh, just before we go, uh, because it is topical, uh, very quickly, yeah. uh, North Korea. Now, uh, obviously, as everyone knows, big thing happened in the last week or so. Uh, presidents of North Korea and South Korea uh, met, shook hands. Kim Jong-un went into South Korea. They had a little chat. Uh, they came out. They said, Held hands. we're going to... We're gonna, yeah, they held hands, they smiled, they laughed. Yeah. We're gonna end the Korean War, uh, even though there's been a bit of an like an armistice since 1953 <laughs> or whenever it, it was. It was 53, 56, can't remember when it technically ended. Um, that that uh, they are going to end the war, and Kim's going to destroy his nuclear capability and all this kind of stuff. Now thing that's kind of been bugging me, and I've, I've commented a few places on Facebook, but I've basically held off because I want to talk about it in this show, is some people are giving Trump credit for this. Uh, some people are giving the president of South Korea, Moon, credit for this. Mm -hmm. um, the person who deserves credit for this is Kim Jong-un. Kim Jong-un uh -huh. engineered, engineered this all the way, I think. Um, this only happened... Because Kim finally developed successful nuclear ICBMs. All of a sudden, they have to take him seriously and come to the table. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, yeah, people are saying, oh, well, Trump 
deserves the Nobel Peace Prize. Fuck off with that bullshit. Um, <laughs> Trump well, nothing's happened anything. yet. Everything if, is if Trump, in potentia. Go ahead. If Trump deserves anything, it's a straight jacket and a padded cell. That's what he deserves. <laughs> um, so, look, Kim... Kim knew what he was doing all along. And, and I've been saying this for years. Kim, you know, if he is half intelligent, and I'm, I don't know if he is or he isn't, I know that the propaganda, the Western propaganda uh, about him makes him sound like he's a complete, you know, sort of retard. Um, I don't think that's true. With great hair. Um, but... But if he's if he's half intelligent, he's looked around at uh, the other dictators uh, and, and what's happened to them in the last 10, 15 years since the U.S. went all uh, uh, John Wayne uh, again in the world uh, since 9-11. Gaddafi, gone. Saddam Hussein, gone. Um, Assad, massive war going on in his country uh, uh maybe not 100 percent the responsibility of the u.s and their allies but at least 50 percent um who else have we got uh, who's been kicked out who am i thinking who am i forgetting um do 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 i don't know there's more i can't think of them off the top of my head so he looks around he goes well you know what did how many of those guys had nuclear weapons none of them right so <laughs> And the, the the countries that the U.S. doesn't fuck with, and I've said this for donkey's years, right? The U.S. doesn't pick fights with countries that can fight back, generally speaking. Um, they like weak third world countries uh, without much of a defensive capability that they can get in, kick ass, take names, get out quickly. That's a, that's a that's a good war for America, right? Like uh, Gulf War One under. Storm and Norman was it eleven days? <laughs> I think the yeah, war lasted eleven hard days. <laughs> it wasn't oh, that hard. They no. walked in. They just gave um, Saddam's yeah. uh, revolutionary guard a hard stare, a gripper style, and they they backed down. Um, so they don't like fighting back. The U.S. doesn't like fighting back against countries who can fight back, and the same is true of of England and France and all these colonial powers. No one wants a nuclear war. No one wants to put their soldiers or themselves or their allies in a situation where shit could go horribly pear-shaped and they're going to cop the blame for it. So, um, you know, I, I'd say that if anyone deserves the Nobel Peace Prize, it's Kim Jong-un for building a nuclear weapon. Well, that's that's a pretty bold statement. Here's, here's my reply. One... Besides hand-holding and hugging and taking pictures with photo with some children, nothing's really happened yet. So let's not pass out too many awards yet. Two, if anybody thinks this guy is going to give up his nuclear weapons, weapons they're insane. He might give up testing. He might give up um, making any more. But he is not going to give up his nuclear weapons because that's the only thing keeping him alive. Three, if he makes any kind of deal with... South Korea, they technically end the war. The two countries have a warming period. They start getting along together, even if it's still strained. But at to some point, if they start getting politically along together, p- families are allowed to go see each other or whatever. Food passes through because we all know North, North Korea needs as much food as it can get. Doesn't that make having the United States troops in South Korea 
just that much more awkward. I think um, Kim Jong-un is playing a short game. I think he's playing a long game. I think he knows exactly what he wants. And Donald Trump is not in any way messing this guy up. He's just giving the leader that many more options. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think he'd be he'd be insane to give up his nuclear capability entirely. Yeah. He might give up the ICBMs, the ones that potentially mm-hmm. can hit the United States, but keep enough local capability. Yeah. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Of course, it may all fall in a heap. Maybe it'll get down to negotiations and it'll crumble. Maybe he will meet with Trump in uh, Take this month, as, it, as it's as it's been pre- sort of talked about them doing it it'll all go pear-shaped um we don't know but uh it's interesting to see what he wants what he's trying to get out of this i think you're right i think if he can decouple the relationship between the united states and south korea and make it irrelevant it gets him closer to uh what the kims have always said that they wanted since his grandfather's day you know, mm-hmm. after the war which is a unified Korea. Um, If they can get the United States out of Korea, uh, get their military out of South Korea, um, it it might play into his long-term plans. But uh, what he's willing to give up, what he's trying to get, that remains to be seen. But the point is that I think he's the guy that deserves the credit for this. Yeah, it doesn't Um, happen without him, exactly like you said. He's the one who has initiated everything because he's the one who's been saying no this whole time. It's all up to him everybody's just waiting on him now he's also had a whole bunch of uh his relatives and competitors assassinated so maybe nobel peace prize isn't right but depends on <laughs> but they gave one to obama who you know he had he's like at his first day in the job so if obama can get one fucking anyone can get one i guess we'll <clears throat> uh so that's that but there's also an article in politico that uh sort of supports this same story and uh, a story in the Atlantic I saw as well recently. Uh, the North Korean leader has deftly exploited fissures between the US and South Korea. By the way, if you haven't been paying attention, South Korea is a fucking mess. Uh, mm. Everyone points to Kim Jong-un as being crazy, but the the most recent um, South Korean president, Park lady, is in right. jail for corruption i think four oh, out of the last five i think four out of the last five south korean presidents uh, are either in jail for corruption or have been in jail for corruption or committed suicide because of corruption charges <laughs> including the current president moon's uh mentor uh committed suicide uh when corruption charges were against him a few years back Capitalism. um pl- Plus, the CEO of Samsung, Korean-based company, um, was in jail. I think he's he's out temporarily, but uh, on appeal or something. Or, but mm-hmm. he's been he's it looks like he's going to jail along with a bunch of other Samsung execs and other religious leaders that were manipulating the Korean president Park. Uh, crazy, wacky religions, and it's it's a fucking basket case, South Korea. So, like you know, it's 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 not as if they're the they're the good guys that where things are going well they're they're fucking crazy man so yeah anywho um yeah so there's a couple of interesting articles that i'll post on uh, the blog the atlantic one and the politico one about kim jong-un and just just don't again don't just read the mainstream media narrative on this uh without drilling down a little bit looking for some of the uh, you know look, look at Trying to figure out what what does Kim want? What's Kim been doing? How do we get to this point? It's got nothing to do with 
Trump's maximum pressure, like he says. <laughs> the U.S. have been applying pressure on North Korea for 60, 65 yeah. years, man. Um, you know, this has happened because Kim built a nuclear weapon against all odds. Um, how can you just stand and walk away? Turn around and see me cry. What? See my nuke. Look at my nuke. Hey, look at my nuke. He he wants All to right. be on the the he wants to be on the big stage, and now he's going to be. Anyway, yeah. Um, with that, um, that's the show for this week. Go up to iTunes, bullshit filter, and uh, leave us a nice review. We'll send you a new dick tickling coffee mug, um, <laughs> or a Barry and Stan coffee mug, uh, nice. or another coffee mug, maybe a D back coffee mug. And uh, we'll be back next week with more news stories. Thanks, babe.